You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 118. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So, let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you part three of my story, The Muse. In part two, Will and Callie retrieved the icon of St. Marai from the shop where Callie had stashed it. Now they have to keep the icon away from the street wizard Trajan until after midnight tomorrow. If Trajan recovers the icon, he will deface it in a summoning ritual, which would call a dangerous Daedra into the world. Callie and Will take the icon back to one of Callie's safe houses, but they discover that Trajan's men have already been there. They soon find themselves pursued by a large gang of swoops, flying motorcycle-like vehicles, and some of them have been modified with illegal machine guns. Callie maneuvers through a mess of heavy traffic and manages to evade most of the enemy swoops, but one of the bad guys anticipated her trick and moved to cut her off. As he opens fire on Callie and Will, a ball of shimmering pink light suddenly erupts around them, and the incoming bullets are deflected safely away. Callie rams the nose of her swoop into the enemy pilot, then races off into the city's underbelly. Callie needs a safe place to wait out the night and the following day, but Trajan apparently knows about her usual hiding spots. Will offers to let her stay at his place, since Trajan doesn't know Will and would have no reason to suspect his involvement. Callie agrees to the plan, and they head off to Will's flat for what they hope will be a quiet night's sleep. The Muse, a tale of Metamore City. Written and read by Chris Lester. Part 3 Will's place was a small studio apartment above an equally small rare bookshop on the second level of the city, not far from Empire University's main campus. The owner of the bookstore had known Will since he'd walked in two years ago, looking for a text for his Southlands literature course, and he had been all too happy to rent the studio to Will when he himself found more spacious quarters in Glen Avery. It wasn't the best neighborhood on the second level, but it was quiet enough that Will was able to sleep or write or study in relative peace. Welcome to my humble abode, Will said as they stepped inside. Let me give you the tour. He stepped to the center of the room and turned in a slow circle, gesturing at the kitchen nook, the table, the desk, the bookshelf, the dresser, the bed, the single large window behind the bed, and the door to the bathroom. This concludes our tour, he said, smirking. It's nice, Callie said, smiling. It suits you. She unzipped her borrowed jacket and pulled out the bag with the icon, setting it on the kitchen counter, then took off the jacket and handed it to Will. He hung it over the back of the chair in front of the table and turned back to take a look at their hard-won prize. Callie crossed paths with him on the way, heading for the bathroom. 
Ugh, she moaned softly. I feel like I have dirt and sweat clinging all over me. How about a shower, Will? Help yourself, he said absently, reaching into the bag and pulling out the icon. There are towels and washcloths in the bathroom closet. It was a gold statue of St. Marai, about thirty centimeters tall, including the five-centimeter base. She was dressed in simple, unadorned robes, her feline tail wrapped around to the front of her body, her palms pressed together in front of her heart as if in prayer. Her long, flowing hair framed her ageless face, which carried a beatific, peaceful expression. Or, at least, so it seemed to Will. It was hard to get much detail on the face of a twenty-five-centimeter-tall figure. The base of the statue was ornamented with flowers, doves, and various abstract patterns. He felt a gentle hand on his shoulder and turned to see Callie standing next to him. She had stripped down to her bra and panties, both of which were made of a satiny material, the bra white, the panties red, and she had one of Will's towels slung over her shoulder. Sure you don't want to join me? she asked, smiling mischievously. You could wash my back. Um, Will had been thrown off his script again. He was just starting to get used to Callie, learning to accept the danger and the excitement that surrounded her. And now here she was, standing in his apartment in her underwear, offering to let him bathe her. His writer's sensibilities really took offense at the implausibility of the whole situation. No, he said at last. Thank you very much, but no. I'll wait until you're done. Humph, Callie said, giving him a playful little pout. She walked over toward his dresser. Will admired her backside as she did so. In that case, would you mind getting these clothes washed for me? I assume you have a laundry room somewhere in this building. It's down the hall, Will said, frowning. But I don't think they'll be done by the time you get out. No problem, she said, fishing out a t-shirt and a pair of boxers from Will's dresser and gesturing with them. I'll make do. She walked back to the bathroom and shut the door behind her. A moment later, she stuck her head out again and tossed Will her clothes, bra and panties included. Thanks again, Will. You're a sweetheart. The door shut again. Sure, Will said softly, still staring at the door. No problem. Will threw Callie's clothes in the washing machine and set it on fast cycle, hoping that none of her items required any special care. He sat there in front of the machine for a while, almost afraid to go back to the apartment. There was no getting around it. Callie was gorgeous. Sure, her hair was a mess, and her breasts weren't very big, but everything else? He shook his head, disbelieving. Whatever else a runner's life might entail... It was keeping her in terrific shape. And right now, she was naked in his bathroom. That thought sprang up unbidden again, making him want to bash his head against the washing machine in front of him. You idiot, he growled at himself. This is all a big game to her, remember? She's the actress and you're the prop. For Eli's sake, you just met her a few hours ago. In the silence that followed, he analyzed his monologue to see if there was anything that needed revising. It had sounded good to him, and he was particularly pleased with the metaphor, so he gave it his approval and filed it away for future use. To his credit, he was fully aware of how absurd it was. 
but then his entire life had become one huge absurdity this evening. He'd been picked up by a beautiful woman who worked as a freelance spy and had volunteered to help keep a crazy street wizard from getting his hands on a holy statue. He'd ridden a swoop through a chase scene, been shot at by machine guns, and had the bullets deflected by a glowing pink ball of light with white sparkles. What the hell was that about anyway? He felt vaguely insulted again, having been saved by what felt like a deus ex machina. He'd have to ask Callie about that later. Callie. No, don't think about Callie, damn it. Callie. Callie. Callie wearing my boxers. Callie naked. Callie in my bathtub. Callie in my bed. Oh, Eli, help me. He smacked himself hard across the cheek, hoping the stinging pain would bring him back to the real world. It didn't help much. Will tried to be a good kid. He really did. He didn't get drunk or do drugs or go to the wild street-level parties some of his friends went to. He went to service every Sunday and read his canticle every morning. He was still a virgin and had always planned to stay that way until he was married. But if Callie offered herself to him, he wasn't sure he was going to be able to resist her. In fact, he was almost sure he wasn't. It had taken a heroic effort just to say no to taking a shower with her. He straightened up in his chair and took a few long, deep breaths, offering up another silent prayer to Eli. You brought her to me for help, and I'll help her, he thought. But you're going to have to give me a hand with this, okay? Because I'm trying very hard to be the noble hero here, and she's not making it any easier on me. The buzzer on the washer went off. Will pulled out Callie's clothes and tossed them in the dryer with a sheet of fabric softener then turned and went back to his apartment. Kelly was dressed in his clothes and sitting at his desk when Will came back. Her hair didn't look all that different from the way it had before, except that now it was damp and clung a little closer to her head. She looked up at him and smiled. Is this one of your stories? she asked, gesturing at the yellow legal pad sitting on the desk. She had it open to somewhere in the middle of the pad. Will came over and looked at what she was reading. Yes, it is, he said. It's not finished, though. My muse is giving me trouble with it. Your muse? Callie asked, giving him a look that was half puzzled, half amused. Yes, well, not literally, but metaphorically, he said, sitting at the edge of the desk. Most writers refer to their inner voice of inspiration as their muse, I think it helps the creative process to imagine that our ideas don't come from ourselves, but from some higher power handing them down to us. He chuckled. It certainly makes it easier to explain why some days we can write something brilliant and other days we can't seem to do anything. Callie smiled. A goddess in your head. Sounds nice. Sometimes, Will agreed with a smile, gazing into her eyes. They were strikingly beautiful a delicate amber color with little flecks of green. His mind skidded abruptly to a halt. What the... he said, frowning. Kelly mirrored his look. What? Will leaned in a little closer to look at her face. Do you wear colored contacts? No, why? Your eyes were green earlier. Now they're amber colored. What's that about? And while we're on the subject of weird, what the heck was that pink ball of light that saved us earlier? Callie sighed and lowered her eyes. 
Look, it's late. You'd better go take your shower. I'll explain later, I promise. Will looked at her for a long moment, then nodded. Okay, fair enough, he said softly. I'll go... yeah. Without another word, he went over to his dresser, picked out some clean boxers, and went into the bathroom. After a moment's thought, he locked the door behind him. Will came out of the bathroom twenty minutes later and found Callie lying fast asleep on his bed. He was a little disappointed, since he'd really wanted to hear her explanation, but he didn't have the heart to wake her up just to satisfy his own curiosity. He took one of the pillows off the bed, pulled the extra blanket out of the bottom drawer of his dresser, and laid down on the floor between the bed and the wall. It wasn't the most comfortable place in the world to sleep, but it would do for tonight. He lay on his back, closed his eyes, and listened to the sound of Callie breathing, until at last he drifted off to sleep. That night he dreamt of Callie. In his dream they were both runners, on a mission together. He wasn't too clear on the plot, this being a dream and all, but he was vaguely aware that it had something to do with the supervillain, a giant laser cannon, and trying to save the world. It was all rather complicated, but eventually they blew up the villain's secret base and escaped from his giant killer hell poodles by hang gliding off a cliff into the jungle below. They landed in a clearing by a large, clear pool at the base of a waterfall, and then they took off their clothes and bathed together in the cool, refreshing water. After that, they lay down on the grassy bank, Will on his back, Callie on her stomach with her head resting on his chest. She traced patterns around his left nipple with her finger, while he held her close with his right arm, running his hand along her back, her side, her buttocks, her thigh. She looked up at him, eyes full of love, and said, You gonna get up sometime today, tiger? Will opened his eyes and blinked, suddenly aware of his surroundings. He was still lying on the floor next to the bed, but so was Callie nestled against him in the same position as she had been in his dream. Fortunately, she was fully dressed in her own clothes. Unfortunately, he was still caressing her butt. Oh my god, Will said, starting fully awake. Oh my god, I'm sorry. He quickly withdrew his hand and splayed it out against the floor, as far from Callie as possible. No need to apologize, Callie said easily, still tracing patterns on his chest. It was nice. And that must have been quite an interesting dream from the sounds of it. Will groaned, turning his face away from her. Her breath carried the scent of his mouthwash, but that only reminded him of the taste in his own mouth. Let me up. I have morning breath, he said, struggling to get up. Callie got up off of him and sat on the bed, watching him with those curious, sparkling eyes of hers. This morning they were greenish-blue. Your eyes have changed again, he said, as he walked over to the bathroom in search of the mouthwash. You ready to tell me yet what that is? Callie sighed. Sure, I guess I owe you that much. She got up and strolled over to the bathroom door, leaning one hand against the frame while she rested the other one on her hip. She looked up at the ceiling, took a deep breath, then turned back to look at him. I've been keeping some things about myself secret from you, as you've probably figured out. Everything I told you before was true, but there's one thing in particular that I didn't mention. 
She paused and took another breath. I'm not exactly completely human. Will spit out his mouthwash in the sink and turned to look at her sharply. Oh my god, are you a succubus? Not that there's anything wrong with it if you are, he added hastily. It's just, you know, here in the city and all, Mom warned me about... His voice trailed off uncertainly. Callie laughed and shook her head. No, I'm not a succubus. Will sighed in relief. But you know what you get when you cross a succubus with an Eladrin? Will frowned. Eladrins were one of the warrior races of Celestials. Um, not really, he said. Neither did anyone else, Callie said. But whatever it was, that was my father. She lowered her eyes. Or so they tell me, she added softly. I'm sorry, Will said, not really sure what he was sorry for. Callie waved off the words, then turned and wandered over toward the kitchen nook. Will followed her halfway, stopping at his closet to pull on some pants and a shirt. Anyway, she said, you probably know that Eladrins are instinctively aligned with good and succubi with evil, though of course there are exceptions on both sides. But what you may not know is that both Eladrins and Succubi are aligned with the forces of chaos, rather than order. So when my father was born, the predispositions toward good and evil cancelled each other out, but the connection to chaos was still there. She picked up the icon of St. Marai and ran her fingers idly over its surface. And that connection was passed on to you? Will asked, as he pulled on his socks and began hunting for some shoes. Yep. The Lightbringers say I'm what they call a Kansan, a person with the blood of chaotic outsiders in my veins. I have this chaos aura of sorts that follows me around wherever I go, which basically means that weird or unlikely things tend to happen more often when I'm around. And that explains the eyes and the hair, Will suggested, grinning up at her. She returned the expression. Yeah, you've noticed I can't do a thing with the hair. She brushed a mixed lock of red and gold out of her eyes. And the eyes just seem to change when they feel like it. I can't control it. Or, if I can, I haven't figured out how yet. She shrugged. The aura affects other things, too, and I can't really control that, either. Most of the time for me, it just means I have good luck, which is a handy thing when you're a runner. For people around me? She gave him a wry, lopsided smile. It can go either way. Will put on his shoes and began lacing them up. And that pink thing last night? What was that? That's one of the few things I can control. The wizards who study this stuff call it an entropic shield. There's a spell that does the same thing, but mine is natural, a part of my heritage. Unfortunately, after I use it, my chaos aura is drained for a while, and I can't use it again until I've gotten a good night's sleep. I try to save it for emergencies for that reason. That makes sense. Will stood up and raised his eyebrows expectantly. So, now what do we do? Callie smiled slyly. Whatever we want, she purred, sauntering over to him. Like you said, Trajan doesn't know where you live, so we should be in the clear for now. So, I suggest that we go get some breakfast, and then... She wrapped her arms around his waist and rested her forehead against his. We'll see what happens, she added. Will closed his eyes and took a deep breath, clenching his teeth together. Would you please not do that? 
he asked, his voice soft and very hoarse. Callie drew back and looked at him, her expression changed to one of confusion and concern. What's wrong, Will? she asked. Will turned his back on her, taking a few more slow, deep breaths before answering. Callie, I like you, and I really want to help, but you're driving me crazy. What? How? By doing things like that, he blurted, his voice sounding loud even in his own ears. The words came out in a rush. You touch me, and you kiss me, and you hold me, and I'm trying so hard to do the right thing here, but you're so beautiful, and all I want to do is tear your clothes off, and... He didn't say, screw your brains out, but he thought it. And I know it's all just pretend, he finished sadly, shaking his head. You don't know me. It was just some guy you picked up on the street to help you get away. It could have been anybody. I was just there. He could have said more, but he doubted it would make matters any better, so he just shut up and stood there, fighting back tears. Will, Callie said gently. She put a hand on his shoulder, but it was different this time. Not a suggestive touch, but a comforting one. Will, I'm sorry. She sighed in frustration. I guess there's a little more succubus in me than I'd like to admit, she muttered. I'm impressed, Will. Really, I am. I don't meet many guys with your integrity in my line of work. Most of them are just happy to enjoy the ride for as long as it lasts. They don't miss me when I'm gone, and I don't miss them. She stepped around in front of him and looked him squarely in the face, her expression serious. You're different, she said. You've still got a warm heart beating in that chest of yours, a heart that still believes in things like romance and true love. I really respect that. Her eyes unfocused, staring into the middle distance. You're right. We're still strangers. I don't really know you at all. She looked back at him, and it was as if something had opened up inside her, just a little. A fractional lowering of very old defenses. But I think I'd like to. Will looked at her for a long moment, and then, scarcely even thinking about it, he reached out and hugged her. It was not an erotic or passionate gesture at all, just an act of comfort and friendship, but it was the most sincere, genuine moment of bonding they'd had since they'd met. I'd like to know you too, Callie, he said softly. I really would. Before either of them could say anything further, a knock sounded at the door. Mr. Karenson, a voice called. It sounded deep, gruff and male. Callie looked at Will questioningly. You expecting anyone? she whispered. Will shook his head. Clenching the icon nervously in one hand, Callie walked over to the door and looked through the peephole. She abruptly turned and came back, a frightened look on her face. I know those guys. They work for Trajan, she hissed. The knocking came again, louder this time. Mr. Karenson, are you in there? the voice asked, more insistent. Okay, Will said, taking a deep breath. You go out the window. I'll talk to them and send them off in the wrong direction. He turned toward the door and shouted, Just a minute, I'm in the bathroom. A second later, there came a sudden, loud thud, and the door cracked visibly from the impact. I don't think they're here to ask questions, Callie said. 
Rushing over to the window, she quickly opened it and looked out. She looked back and waved to Will. Looks okay. Come on. Will dashed for the window as another loud crack sounded from the door. You first, Callie said. Let yourself down as far as you can and then fall in the awning below. Will did as he was told. There wasn't much to hold on to on the brick wall of the building, so he just gripped the window sill and let his arms fully extend before letting himself drop. The awning in front of the bookstore was only about a meter below him at that point, and he landed softly. Unfortunately, the awning tore loose under his weight, but he managed to land on his feet. Callie shut the window most of the way, leaving it slightly ajar as if to let in fresh air, and dropped down beside him a moment later, legs absorbing the fall like a cat's. No sooner had she landed than they heard the sharp crack of the apartment door breaking loose under the blows from Trajan's men. Come on, Callie shouted, racing for the nearby garage where her swoop was parked. They got to the vehicle and had just climbed aboard when the back door to the garage burst open, and three thugs with guns came racing out, less than ten meters behind them. Callie cursed and raised another entropic shield a split second before they opened fire, then gunned the engine and rocketed out of the garage. I am not going through this again, she snarled. Spinning the swoop around, she pointed it straight at the gunmen, who were still trying to fire through her shield. Then, opening up the throttle again, she blasted forward. Trajan's thugs were apparently not too clear on what the entropic shield did, because they kept firing at her instead of getting out of the way. By the time they realized that even their point-blank shots were going awry, it was too late. Callie spun the swoop around at the last second and hit them with the broadside of her mount, catching one of them in the face and the other two in the chest. All three went flying like rag dolls. She swung around in a wide loop, snatching up each of their guns as she passed, then stopped and pointed one of the weapons at her fallen attackers. Callie, Will said, protesting. Callie ignored him. Taking careful aim, she pumped one round into each of the men's kneecaps. Then she handed Will one of the guns, pocketed the other two, and raced off down the skyway. How did they find us? Will asked, when it became evident that there were no others chasing them. Divination, Callie explained. That bastard Trajan must have done a spell to locate the icon. Those spells are tricky. I didn't think he'd be able to pull it off. Will felt a cold pit of fear gnawing at his stomach. If he can do that, he'll be able to find us anywhere. Not if we get someone to mask its aura for us, Callie said. Fortunately, I know just the guy. And that's the end of part three. Come back next week for the conclusion, as Callie seeks out help from her not-so-friendly neighborhood wizard. Brandon Sanderson said, It is a writer's greatest pleasure to hear that someone was kept up until the unholy hours of the morning reading one of his books. It goes back to authors being terrible people who delight in the suffering of others. Plus, we get a kickback from the caffeine industry. Brandon, Brandon, you can't keep giving away all our secrets like that, buddy. Next you'll be telling him about the product placement fees I get from spells for you. <sighs> anyway, here's your weekly writing report.
I wrote 6,158 words this week, over the course of 8.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 746 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 82 days without breaking my chain. This week I continued working on Operation Ibex. One of the interesting things about turning a 40-minute audio drama into a prose story is that I have a lot more time to let the story breathe. I'm adding in scenes between the dialogue that flesh out the world-building and delve into the characters' inner thoughts and motivations. Along the way, the characters are becoming more textured and complex, instead of the quick, easy archetypes that I used in the audio drama. This week I decided I wouldn't be bound by the exact dialogue I wrote previously, or the precise order of events that happened in the drama. Instead, I'm taking the drama as a loose inspiration and a roadmap for the story, and weaving in some subplots to give the story more depth. At this point, the manuscript is up over 10,000 words, and I'm still in the early stages of the plot. This could easily end up being a short novel by the time all is said and done. At this point, I'm planning to write two Metamore City story collections for release over the next year or so. One book will be all about Artax, following him through his many adventures at different stages of his life. The other book will be about the size, and I have several stories already planned out for that collection. I'll give you more details on those two books as they take shape. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus. E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2003 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.